2: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
3: They just want to be on the field. Uh, I I think they feel like maybe some people are out to get them or have an axe to grind against them a little bit. I I think they feel like they haven't accomplished everything that they could have accomplished. I think they feel like they've lost some close games that we could have won if we'd have played a little better, a little harder, a little smarter. You know, I think our program is ready to turn a big time corner. but it's tough too if we're given circumstances where we can't get on the field and get better. I think our kids are just anxious to get back out there and, and try to try to compete to win a game.
0: I would say our guys are kind of used to um, adjusting on the fly. You know what I mean? It's it's been that type of year. Um, this isn't the first hurdle, the first uh, adversity, uh, sign of adversity that we've seen this year. So we're going to keep chugging along. You know, we immediately moved on to Northwestern, and and that was kind of where our heads were at. I think our team really hit that in stride and. And we've been
1: dialed in on those guys. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus as 2020 college football is still going on as the bumps in the road continue around the country. And as we know, Nebraska experienced one last week, not getting a game in against Wisconsin. The Badgers won't play again this week against Purdue. In the meantime, at least as we sit here on Thursday afternoon, Things look pretty good for Nebraska to get on the plane and go out to Northwestern and play this game on Saturday. It's an 11 a.m. game uh, against the Wildcats, and Evanston will get you ready for that here over the next hour as uh, Nebraska um, hoping to get that first win of the season, guys. And, Robin, you you look at this game, you you hate to say it, but it, it has a lot of stakes to me. I just feel like the season feels off schedule right now already for Nebraska. They played Ohio State. No one really expected them to win that game. We saw some promise. We saw some concern, but not getting a week two game to kind of work out kinks. I just think there's a lot of unknowns for Nebraska, and and the stakes going into this week are very high that they have to come out of Evanston with a win.
4: Absolutely, and you don't want to, you know, anoint a game in week three as being a season defining game. But the reality is Northwestern is sitting there. You know, they're two and zero. And Nebraska is 0 and 1, and they've already had one of their nine games uh, taken off the schedule entirely. So uh, dropping to 0 and 2, and Northwestern going to 3 and 0, that suddenly changes the entire complexion of uh, where the West Division race is going to be headed. And Nebraska, I mean, you only have so many op- more opportunities left. When you get this type of game, where uh, I think the last spread I saw was like three and a half, four, depending on where you look. I mean, that's, that's winnable, in my opinion. That's a toss-up. Exactly, and it's probably just home field, and there really is no home field anymore this year. So uh, this is a game that Nebraska can and, in reality, needs to win in order to, one, build off the momentum they picked up against Ohio State, and, two, stay very much alive in the Big Ten West race.
0: Oh, yeah, and that's what it's all about when you look at how the Big Ten West is shaping up. I mean, it is wide, wide open right now. I don't know if anyone necessarily thought that – uh, North, Northwestern might be the the team uh, with a with a huge edge right now, being two and zero, in and kind of looking at how things have played out. Wisconsin, obviously missing uh, last week, and then this coming week's game and. Um, you know, Minnesota dropping a game and, and Iowa dropping a game. I mean, if Nebraska can go and take care of business, I mean, they're all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good about the prospects of them, um, you know, taking home the West.
1: Yeah, and really it's all about just playing on Saturday and getting wins now because you don't know what the next Saturday is going to bring. I mean, and this Western division is a mess. I mean, the fact that Wisconsin won't play Purdue and Nebraska at least through two weeks or three weeks, we know that. And who knows what the, the back half is going to bring – the divisional tiebreakers and the standings, all you can worry about doing is just winning because exactly. Wisconsin could still win this division with a 5 and 1 record. You know, if they only play six games, I know there aren't going to be a lot of very happy people, especially if, you know, the two games they miss are without Graham Mertz. And I, I believe the 21st day Graham Mertz can return is the Michigan game, assuming that game's happening. Now, there's also a lot of thought that maybe Wisconsin, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure out there that they may not even play football this year. I mean, mm. there, there's all sorts of theories. But the bottom line is you just got to win in the West, and Northwestern's 2-0, Purdue's 2-0, and Iowa and Minnesota are
4: 0-2. Yeah, and that's why it, it you know, comes down to a lot to not just winning but being able to play. Uh, you know, Wisconsin has two more cancellations from being eliminated from the West, even the conversation of playing for a Big Ten championship. And so uh, we're in a point now where it's not even worth looking beyond the next game, literally. Like, you know, this a c- cliché, Uh, The next game is the most important because it's the next on the schedule. Well, that's (laughs) the reality of the situation right now. Uh, You cannot assume that you're going to play any of the remaining games. And so all you can focus on is, you know, what the task at hand and right now, Nebraska has an opportunity, like we said, to go uh, you know, play in a winnable game that you know could have significant impact on the Big Ten West standings, especially with you know the big questions surrounding Wisconsin right now.
0: Yeah, that saying has never been more true than than this season right now. Um, you know, in, in the, I mean, the reality of it all is that um, you know, and I don't know if it's if it's an advantage or disadvantage, but Nebraska has been able to to kind of hone in on this game for a little bit longer now if you listen to Scott Frost, he'd say, well, we need to play football. And missing that game last week, you know, kind of took away another opportunity for us to play and and improve. But um, at the same time, I, I kind of like having a little extra time uh, focusing in on our Northwestern. Um, you know, given the, the situation, I, I think that that is something that could work to, towards Nebraska's advantage. But um, you know, it's, these games, for whatever reason, we all know that they always come down to the very, very end, and it's always kind of a nail-biter. And, um, you know, obviously I, I would expect nothing less this weekend.
1: Yeah, think about this, guys. Six of the nine games have been decided by three points or less. Seven of the nine have been decided by seven points or less. Uh, the only two blowouts, I, th- I believe Nebraska – and Evanston, obviously that one year with Mike Riley, they they blew him out that year and played a flawless second half. But you don't beat Northwestern badly because the way they kind of – they, they, they want to grind it out and limit the possessions, and they don't want to make the game a track meet.
4: No, they're a team that just sits back and makes you – earn every yard that you get on offense and they pick their spots on offense when they have the ball. And, you know, basically you have to play darn near flawless. If you want to break that game open and Nebraska is a team that has not played a flawless game in a long, long time. And so this, that's going to be the key of the game on Saturday is can Nebraska stay out of its own way against Northwestern team that is as disciplined and consistent as any team in the conference.
0: No question. You've got to limit the penalties and the turnovers and those sorts of things. Otherwise, Northwestern uh, certainly will make you pay for it.
1: And that Iowa game got my attention last week. You know, they were down, I want to say, 17 nothing, And then they came back and, and won that game in Iowa City. And Iowa had their backs against the wall. This is an Iowa team that lost to Purdue – the week before so they had a kind of a must-win feel for them and northwestern not only got down they stayed in the composed they, they kept composed they made iowa into force forcing, forcing uh, some mistakes and that that was a huge win for them uh, as far as getting this season on track it wasn't the prettiest win but it was just kind of a typical northwestern type of win
4: they, <clears throat> they won the game by, by a point and they forced three iowa turnovers in that game so you know it's one of those deals again where the, the recipe is not you know difficult to beat Northwestern you got to do what you can control and c- take control of the football don't commit penalties and capitalize when you get
0: opportunities to score well and I think it's pretty clear now that they've got a they've got a quarterback um, you know I think I was at least I was impressed with what Peyton Ramsey did and, and kind of how he played um, you know especially against Iowa on the road and so in um, They've always had decent quarterbacks, but um, you know, and and I don't know if you've you can say any of them have been um, you know complete difference makers or, or guys that you necessarily fear, but. Uh, I think Ramsey is somebody who uh, you, you definitely you, you know he's gonna he's capable of making plays for them out there. Yeah, they
1: had an historically bad offense a year ago and their offense early on has put out some historic numbers at least from Northwestern's in. I mean they scored forty three on Maryland. It was the first time they've scored over forty points in a game in the last four years and the forty point margin a win against Maryland was their largest or their first forty plus margin point victory since the nineteen seventies. So they've done some things, but we're going to get more into this match. I want to talk about the offense, kind of our outlook going into this game next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
2: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska
3: athletics. Uh, I mean, it just shows what kind of team they are. Um, They're gonna fight, fight till the end, and there's just sound on just about every phase of the game. They don't really make a lot of mistakes. They don't really want to beat themselves. So at the end of the day, we have to come in and do our jobs and just make plays.
2: We know that they have a very stout, very strong run defense. Uh, Their linebackers are aggressive guys. And uh, we just look forward to the challenge. We know it's gonna be a kind of inch by inch type of game. And we always look forward to those types of games, just kind of man to man, who's gonna be more disciplined, who's gonna win these battles each play.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. That was Wondell Robinson and Matt Farniak talking about the challenge they'll see from this veteran Northwestern defense. This segment of the Husker Online Show is brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. Get on into Tanner's. The doors will open up Saturday at 9 a.m. and they'll have drink specials. Uh, leading up to kickoff and plenty of food as well. So get on into Tanner's, watch the Husker game Saturday, NFL football on Sundays. It is your premier Lincoln sports bar, guys. And you you talk about Northwestern and their defense, and they're not going to blow you away with NFL talent like we saw at Ohio State where when you just look at guys in shorts, you're like, wow, our guys don't look like that. Um, instead, they're, they're just like that veteran, crafty. I, I made the analogy on better <laughs> Wrap-Up. They're like the old guys at the YMCA that don't lose on the court. And they may not be the most athletic, but they just know how to play football. They make the right play. They don't make mistakes. And it gets old. I, I feel like we've kind of beat the dead horse. They don't beat themselves. They take advantage of your mistakes. But that's really their formula of victory.
4: Yeah. And so – they don't have a lot of names, but the one name that they do have is right in the middle of that defense, the heart and soul linebacker, Patty Fisher. 20-year Big Ten so that veteran. Guy, <laughs> that guy's been an all-Big Ten performer for the last, like, eight years now, and uh, he's at it again. He and, played with
1: Pat Fitzgerald, I think.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe so. But they ha- he is one of three senior linebackers that they have that make their f- defensive front seven as stout and physical you know, as there might be in the league. So, you know, that's where it starts, you know, for Nebraska to be able to do what they need to do on offense. They have to be able to establish a run game and not become one dimensional uh, because that's where, you know, you start forcing things and that's where the mistakes start happening. So uh, I look as one of the biggest keys is how Nebraska's young offensive line or relatively inexperienced offensive line uh, is able to hold up against that front seven, particularly those linebackers. And then can Dedrick Mills become a much bigger factor than he was against Ohio state where he only touched the ball, Nine times. I mean, he's supposed to be their bell cow and in a game like this, you got to get the tough hard yards and he's the guy on this offense that can do it.
0: Yeah, if Dedrick Mills can can start to grind out some yards if they can get him into a rhythm and that offensive line can kind of start leaning on that front seven. Then I think all of a sudden, you're if you're Nebraska, you're feeling pretty good about your chances in this game. But if you watch that Iowa game, you know when when Iowa had to pass, when they were when they had to come back, and when they had to make some plays, that Northwestern defense, um, you know, really took advantage of that and, uh, and, a, and of a younger quarterback, I guess, for for Iowa. But uh, they came up with several turnovers down the stretch there that that really sealed that game, and and uh, you know that. That's again, that's a defense that they're an opportunistic defense and, and they're going to make you pay if you make a little bit of a mistake.
1: And, you know, we've seen Northwestern now 10, this will be the 10th year in a row we've seen Northwestern play. So we're very familiar with what they do on defense because Pat Fitzgerald has been the head coach that entire time. And, you know, it's a bend but don't break type scheme. Um, they will allow, you know, to get some yards here and there because they don't play press man coverage. They don't really, you know, they drop guys in, in quarter coverage zones and just different areas. And they're hoping that maybe if you don't catch a ball, it flips in the air and they intercept it behind you. And, you know, they, they just know how to do what they're told to do and they'll give up you know nebraska i feel like has always for the most part found ways to get yards on northwestern it's the finishing of the yards once again the red zone
4: yeah i mean in the series in those 10 meetings or whatever uh i think northwestern has a plus eight turnover advantage you know all, all time in that series so i mean that's the story i mean that's why those games have been so close is because nebraska finds ways to keep northwestern hanging around and northwestern finds ways to make the winning plays when they need to more often than not. Uh, So that's, you know, keep hammering that point home, Uh, you know, especially with what happened for this particular Nebraska team's one game. You know, they played really, really well until they started shooting themselves in the foot, when they were getting delay of games to open a drive, when they were fumbling, when they were fumbling snaps, uh, you know, doing, doing all the things that you cannot do to beat a team like Ohio State. Well, that point remains the same, if not just as important, against Northwestern team that will capitalize
0: on any mistake you possibly make. And as far as important as I think Mills is going to be in the run game, I think it's also going to be important for Nebraska to kind of stretch the field and, and maybe, maybe have an Omar Manning or uh Wandell Robinson, or maybe one of those younger true freshmen, uh, you know, wide receivers make a play out on the perimeter too, because um, you, know, you don't want to, you don't want to be completely one dimensional and, and have, uh, Northwestern you know loading the box there I, I think that you they've got to respect the the passing game and I think that's an area that Nebraska has, has kind of got to get going to
1: and Robin you were in the interview with Scott Frost on Thursday what is your read on Omar Manning in that situation this week I know I mean it's a hot button everybody wants to know and I mean, I just want to see Maurice Purify, two thousand six, play for Nebraska on Saturday. Is it going to happen?
4: Well, sounds like it. Uh, you know, Scott Frost said that Omar Manning is ready to play, and so now the question becomes: How much and what role is he going to? Is he going to be a starter from you know the opening drive, or are they going to work him in?
1: Tin tin foil hat theory here. We didn't hear from Matt Lubick on no. w- Wednesday. He's the wide receivers coach. And we were supposed to. And to me. I think they just are being careful. because I, I do think you're going to see some different looks with these receivers this week, and they're going to be pretty careful about what they say because very little of it's on film. Alante Brown's not on film. Marcus Fleming's hardly on film.
4: They played 11 snaps against Ohio State.
1: And then obviously Omar Manning didn't play at all. So I, I think that is, you know, if some of these guys can get going for you this week, that's a plus.
4: Absolutely. And I, I think that the table is set for this passing game to look significantly different than it did two weeks ago. Well,
0: and, I mean... Being the recruiting guy, if you look at the the recruiting rankings, the the advantage Nebraska has in talent, especially at the skill positions, is overwhelming. And so, I mean, you would think that that's an area where they could be able to exploit uh, Northwestern quite a bit. If, if they're able to get that pass game going, if if some of these dynamic athletes that they've brought in at the skill positions are able you know, to go out there and perform at a high level and, and convert some plays, uh, I think that changes the, the dynamic of the game in a, a huge way.
1: You know, another thing, too, guys, um, the running back position. Dedrick Mills didn't really have – the type of game we thought and a lot of it had to do with just the lack of plays I mean Nebraska's offense ran in the the low 60s on offensive plays at Ohio State that game really turned in the second half it just didn't really a lot for a running back to to you know contribute like we thought will we see Dedrick Mills kind of have that quote bell cow effort against Northwestern I think there's a pretty good chance we will
4: Again, I think I think you have to. Uh, you have to maintain balance uh, against a defense like this where uh, if you're sitting there sit- a third and long with you know Nebraska's history, that's a bad spot to be in. So keeping drives on schedule, even if he's not getting the big chunk plays, but getting three, four yards a pop, making it second and seven, third and four, that is critical in my opinion for, for Nebraska to put themselves in situations where it's not all on Adrian Martinez or Luke McCaffrey or whoever's that quarterback to to have to make a play against this uh, you know this very uh, capitalizing defense.
0: Yeah, I think if there's a way to get Mills going early and kind of get him into a rhythm, um, you know, and I feel like he's somebody who you know needs to get going a little bit, and once he does. Uh, he's able to kind of push through and and start to get stronger as the game goes along instead of wearing down. And uh, if they can do that, I think it, I think that's good for Nebraska.
1: Well, lots to keep your eyes on, obviously the McCaffrey angle as well. What will that look like this week? We got a pretty good taste of it at Ohio state. Will we get as much Luke McCaffrey or will they try to work in more things? Those are all things We'll be watching closely here on Saturday at Northwestern. When we come back, let's talk about the defense and the challenge they face. Northwestern has a new offensive coordinator. They've added some new looks and wrinkles. We'll discuss that and more next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online,
2: your
0: authority on Nebraska athletics. We, you know, We saw Peyton Ramsey last year. Um, but you know he did some nice things when we played him and, and all throughout the year last year. He's able to uh, you know, get out of trouble a little bit with the pass rush. He's able to, to create some real quarterback runs for himself. Uh, the, the passing game, it's similar but different routes, those types of things, more movement passes, but I think uh, Coach Bajakian has done a really good job in, in the first
1: two games, and he obviously did a really good job at uh, Boston College as well. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. That was Husker defensive coordinator Eric Chenander. Talking about this wildcat offense, it has a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback, and guys. You know, life without Clayton Thorson um, was a bad year for what's Northwestern. They went three and nine. They had an offense that averaged about three hundred yards per game. Uh, who is the Clemson transfer quarterback again? Nate um, from Indiana, that kid that was their starter last year, and he was uh, like a, almost a five star type guy, and he he was a huge bust.
0: Yeah, he yeah. I'm drawing a blank on I'm his name. I'm blank on
1: his name too, and. But, it, yeah,
0: he was yeah, he's a massive, massive bust. A big
1: enough bust that they brought in Peyton Ramsey. And Peyton Ramsey was in a situation because Michael – Hunter Johnson. Hunter Johnson. Hunter Johnson. And cool. we watched him at a rivals camp, and he looked phenomenal as a high school kid back then, but didn't didn't translate to, to playing in the Big Ten. And they bring in Peyton Ramsey, who was in a situation in Indiana where he had been the starter, but Michael Penix Jr. is the future there. And he was hurt last year, and that's why he started at Nebraska. Penix Jr. not hurt, as we know. He scored that great – uh, two point conversion play to beat Penn State um, in overtime a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but they got a new quarterback, a new offensive coordinator. They're running more of a mixture of pro style and what Eric Chenander called a college style offense, meaning quarterback run game. Um, where, you know, in the pros, you don't see design QB run as much. Um, but it's been effective. They, they've had a whole new look. I think it's an advantage, though. Nebraska's had at least two games to study what they've done on offense.
4: Yeah. And, you know, if they're one wanted- of, find a silver lining from that whole Wisconsin debacle. I mean, that that's it. That, you know, Nebraska has four additional days, uh, you know. Especially, to watch especially, two games. Yeah. And, and especially in a week where, uh, you know, we had, there was one less day of practice with the election on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, Nebraska at least should be as prepared as possible for this game. Uh, but, you know, there, there's something to be said, too, for actually being out there and working out your own stuff on the field and as far as uh you know how nebraska you know combats northwestern's offense like i said they don't really do much to blow you away but you know they're again the key word is always going to be efficient and especially when it comes down to for one they don't turn the ball over two they convert over 50 percent of their third downs and they're perfect five for five on fourth downs so I mean they're, they're a team that just kind of moves the ball when they need to they're not they kind of dink and dunk and now that they have uh, a guy in Peyton Ramsey who by the way uh, has already whipped Nebraska once when he got the start for Indiana 400 yards of offense yeah, I mean he was unbelievable in that game so uh, he's a playmaker and he's shown the ability to uh, you know have success against this Nebraska defense you know, this is going to be something where Nebraska's defense has to be just as dialed in as that offense is as far as, you know, limiting uh, any potential breakdowns and keeping everything in front of and making Northwestern, you know, have to to go out of their comfort zone uh, offensively
0: with their play calling. Well, and Ramsey's got to be feeling pretty good too. I mean, his confidence level has to be pretty high after going on the road and beating Iowa, uh, especially with the way that they were able to win that game, kind of coming back from behind and and uh, you know holding on to a lead late there but and and like i said ramsey made some plays down the stretch there where you know i think that's kind of indicative of the type of player that he can be and, and nebraska has seen him make some plays in the past so um you know he's not going to be afraid to to face nebraska by any means but uh it's it's going to be a matter of of uh, you know that defense stepping up and and not allowing them to convert the the third and fourth downs at the same rate that they have been so far.
1: And I'll be curious how they scheme up this week uh, with Nebraska because, you know, Ohio State, we saw Nebraska play predominantly two defensive linemen, and really we saw four outside linebackers on the field at times because JoJo Doman, uh, three to four. I mean, JoJo Doman almost plays a nickel, and I'd imagine he's nickel again this week because of the secondary situation in the first half. But Feldarius Payne would come in. As a essentially a defensive end as an OLB, and then they would keep you know a Caleb Tanner or somebody else in there as well. And I don't know if this is accurate, but I feel like that's the Mike Dawson influence. I feel like he's helped kind of bring some new ideas to Eric Chenander, and and they've they've tried to come up with better ways to create pressure. Pro Football Focus credited Nebraska with four sacks on Ohio State. I know the official stat chart had three. But they did get decent pressure on the Buckeyes, and um, I'm I'm intrigued to see what that looks like this week.
4: Well, and you know specifically with that outside linebacker spot, you're kind of seeing the the evolution of that position a little bit to where. Uh, rather than you know maybe more so the hybrid defensive back linebacker you're getting the linebacker defensive lineman where you get a guy like Payne that doesn't have to come on the f- come off the field for uh you know a, a run obvious run situation or he can play off the ball and potentially be a pass rusher or you're even cover to an extent so uh, that's i'm sure a part of the Dawson influence here is that while you're getting these different types of players and body types at that outside linebacker spot. And, you know, you go back to the original concern uh, for all off season was improving the way the defense set the edge. And when you get big, bigger guys out there that are able to hold their own uh, suddenly that that's, it that goes a long way in setting the edge better.
0: Yeah. It is interesting the, because when you look at the kind of the personnel that they have at that outside linebacker position, it is a mixture of, you know, hybrid D ends and then hybrid Um, you know linebacker safety types I mean you for the Fildarius pains that you've got you also have someone like like a Henrich that was out there uh, getting plenty of snaps against Ohio State and uh, so you do have a lot of different body types a lot of different types of athletes that can do different things and um, yeah, certainly it's going to be interesting to see how they scheme uh, Northwestern because I have no doubt that it's going to look quite a bit different than what it looked like against Ohio
1: State. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show uh, as we talk. Nate, Valerius he Payne. He's one of those guys, like, as a recruit, even when he got to campus, nobody really knew his, like, true size. Like, yeah. his height, weight was everywhere from, like, 240 to 280. His height was everywhere from 6'2 to 6'4". Yep. I mean – what I did see is his lower body, he's got a great lower build to himself. I mean, and I think he battled some injuries, but he's kind of been a pleasant surprise of the recruiting class. There's no question.
0: Well, and he was one of those late additions uh, to that class and somebody that they kind of came in on a little bit late too. And, you know, he's, his season went long. He played in the, the junior college national championship game. And, and for that reason, he was unable to, to take a lot of – uh, official visits. He had been committed to to NC State for a long time, and. Um, you know, Nebraska was one of those teams that had been talking with him for you know fairly long time. Kind of developed a relationship with him. Ended up offering later on in the process, and and uh, you know were able to secure an official visit from him late, and and they were able to flip him right right around signing day. And so, yeah, no one really knew a whole lot about him uh, because it happened so fast, and and you know he didn't really string along the the recruiting process. He stayed a
1: two star in rivals, right? Yeah, he's yep. not a two star.
0: No, I, yeah. I don't think so. I mean,
1: he's probably a 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, but, five, but
0: I think the reason why he was rated a two-star is because he was, you know, maybe a little little undersized for a defensive end, maybe a little oversized, depending on what <laughs> what measurables you look at for an outside linebacker or for a linebacker period. And so I think there was a lot of questions, uh, you know, where does this guy play? And and uh, I think, you know, Nebraska, obviously they, they saw him as somebody that could – um, could fit into their scheme, you know. Take take the position tag off of him. We can we can use his his uh, athleticism in our in our scheme at a, at a couple in, in you know several different ways.
1: Yeah, it will be interesting to see just the creativity they attack. And you know, Northwestern will challenge Nebraska as well with multiple tight insets. sets. They want to run the the football, and they did that effectively against Iowa. They had over sixty rushing attempts. They ran the ball eighty percent of the time. So this will be a different kind of test uh, for Nebraska's defense all right guys when we come back I want to take some questions now in the mailbag as lots to discuss lots of talk about you're listening here to the Husker Online Show
2: this is Husker Online your authority on Nebraska athletics
3: we're down 33 percent of our original season now uh, we're down to eight games if we get total if we get to play them all uh, from here on out so it, it's an awfully big penalty considering I thought at the very least, those calls were – one call at least was cl- very close. And it's too bad for the kids that aren't, are getting the opportunity to, to play taken away and are going to miss a half on top of that.
1: And we're back here on the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus. That was head coach Scott Frost discussing the suspensions of Cam Taylor-Britt and Deontay Williams as they will be out for the first half, as many of you already know, uh, for Saturday's game at Northwestern, meaning we'll see Quentin Newsome and Miles Farmer play a lot more. But, guys, let's get into the mailbag now. Uh, opening question, do you think we will see fans in the stands for Big Ten football games? And the dialogue guys kind of started again on that um, when Jeff Pedrikas, who has now become like the Nicole Arbach of reporting Big Ten-level scoop um, here down the stretch with what, everything going on in Wisconsin, um, said that it's uh, now a discussion point. But I don't know. I, I just feel... The way the Midwest numbers are in Iowa and Nebraska and Wisconsin and a lot of these states, they're at the peaks of the pandemic. It just seems like allowing 10,000 fans in a cold weather type deal is awfully optimistic.
4: Well, if you weren't going to do it uh, you know, a few months ago when the numbers were half or even you know sometimes a third of what they were or are now, What what changed now that suddenly you don't view uh, mass gatherings for sporting events as now this, you know, big, terrifying thing? Uh, I mean, I I don't get it. I guess maybe they're looking at what's happening at uh, other conferences, you know, in the Big 12 and SEC and just seeing... Um, you know the the impact of having fans at those games, and maybe there's there's evidence. It's the money. I mean, yeah. the money
1: the schools are losing. I mean, sure, that's the, a big part. The, everyone. Well. <laughs> I mean, Clemson just cut track and field today.
4: Yeah, but for a conference that has been so cautious and been so conservative in how they're attacking this season, to suddenly you know do a heel pivot and let fans in the stands, I I just don't see it happening. I mean, maybe a different conference, but with the Big
0: Ten specifically, I just do not foresee that type of move. I don't see that happening at all. I think the Big Ten would be the last conference to to go ahead and, and reverse reverse course on something that they were fairly adamant about since the beginning. I,
1: it's a they, presidential. It's not a Kevin Warren thing though. It's a chancellor and president decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but still, I I mean, I just I don't know. I mean, especially when you look at the numbers and everything right now, I just I don't see. The Big Ten and the, those chancellors and the presidents going ahead and and changing their opinion on on something that they were, you know, pretty steadfast on the whole time.
1: Especially Robin and you know NFL better than anybody here. Like the Ravens in Baltimore, they're not allowing fans. Correct.
4: I believe so. I It changes, too. So like I want to
1: say they don't have fans at Baltimore, and I definitely know in New Jersey.
4: Yeah, Philadelphia had like 7,500 people uh, in their game the other night. What about New Jersey? No, they have zero.
1: So in that case, when there's teams that would not be allowed to at all, it just doesn't seem – I think the Big Ten wants a level yeah, playing, playing field.
4: Yeah, and they, especially since they've kind of asserted that all along, and I'm sure that was a big stipulation in going forward with the fall season because – you know, if at that time they were allowed to, Nebraska would have been as full as possible. They would have 25, 30,000 fans. Yeah, they would have been as full as possible. Whereas, you know, Rutgers, Maryland, you know, probably wouldn't have been able to have anybody. So, yeah, I mean, that's another aspect to this. If you want to have a, uh, you know, a, a blanket uh, level of, you know, competitiveness as far as 5, home field 000 advantage. Fans yeah, I mean, it's got to be extremely limited uh, amount of fans or none at all.
1: And it sounds like basketball is going to be the same way, Robin. Um, like they informed Husker season basketball ticket holders they can – There's no season ticket package this year. So you can either donate your money to the day by day fund or keep the priority points or get a refund or kick it over to the next year. And then check Mark, if you're interested in going to games and it sounds like there's only going to be about maybe 3000 fans at basketball games.
4: Yeah. And I can't imagine anybody's going to be right by the court either. It's going to be up in that second tier, third tier. So, you know, it's going to be different, but, uh, I guess it's better than, better than
1: nothing. I mean, at least you get to go to the game. You might have the best seat where you sit. the yeah, press, maybe.
4: The we're, we're basically the, the same as the 200 level. You're the top the, of the, the 100. top of the 100. In the basically. corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it wouldn't be
0: that bad. That could be worse. But <laughs> it could yeah, be I mean, a lot worse. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, whoever gets to go, I mean, I think, um, you know, some fans is better than no fans. I, but, uh, yeah, that's, I, I just want to see the rest of the schedule. Yeah, or a schedule, or a A schedule for that matter. I
1: mean, (laughs) they've confirmed one game so far. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. Before we get to how many fans they're allowing in, let's, uh, let's see who they're going to be playing.
1: What do you think? And and let's ask that question to you, Robin. What do you think the sticking point is right now on why they can't get a basketball schedule ironed out?
4: I mean, honestly, I think it has to do with uh, going through all these different scenarios of different bubble situations and you know a lot of it with these mte multi-team events that you know schools are trying to put on is the the different testing standards from teams from other conferences i know that's been a big hold up Uh, and so you know there's been conversations about whether they should have a non-conference slate at all and if they don't Do you increase the number of conference games that you have? I know there's been talk from going from 20 to 24 Big Ten games. Uh, If they do remove uh, a portion, if not all, of the non-conference slate. So, I mean, the fact that these conversations seem to still be happening and we're now three weeks away from the scheduled start of the season on November 25th, uh, it shows just kind of what a mess this whole deal is. But uh, I do know that there's still some optimism that there will be a non-conference schedule. Uh, it's just a matter of how many games they're allowed to play.
1: When do you think the black shirts will be handed out? And guys, they could be handed out right now. We, we just don't even know. I mean, <laughs> no. I, I mean, there's a pretty tight lid on what's going on in there. And I, I do know this. Players, there's a rule that they're not even allowed to take pictures typically you know, of in-house things like that. You know, it, it, what happens in there stays in there. Um, but I don't think they're out. I mean, I think they're kind of waiting for the right moment. I, I don't know when, um, but to our knowledge, the back, the black Blackshirts aren't out there yet.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, like, if you wait for a good performance in a season where <laughs> you're you're, you're not time. even guaranteed a, a game on Saturday, like, that's risky. So I would assume that as long as they play relatively well against Northwestern, you'll see them come out shortly after.
0: Yeah, I, I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if they're just waiting for a win. You know, let's let's get a win, and you know, if they beat Northwestern this weekend, I I'd be surprised if they didn't come out. But um, as of right now, I I would be shocked if they had been handed out and we didn't know about it. I, I think that the universities, um, you know, what social media or, or get the snap of the, it, the, the, yeah, the content creators uh, that uh, that are all you know, working always to, to put out these little videos and, and snippets of, of what's happening with the football program. I think I think there would have been something put out on, you know, some guys receiving black shirts right now.
1: Call me crazy, but I thought Mark Banker, when he was here, actually probably handled it as well as anybody. He's just like, you know what? I called Charlie, asked him, how would you guys give these out? He goes, we gave them out on the first week of the first game to the starting defense, and I gave them out of the first week of the first game to the starting defense. And I'm not going to make the – I mean – I think you really, as we've learned, yeah. you really are going down a tough road if you're waiting for the moment to give the black shirts out. Yeah,
4: well, I, that really I picked up under Bow. But you know, there was even weird stuff going on, you know, with, before that with, with Callahan or whatever. When when the Zach Bowman like came in and like handed his black shirt in, we don't deserve these type. Josh
1: Manders handed his
4: in uh, under yeah. Riley too. Yeah, so I mean, like, I think it really started going when. You know, Bo started taking them away and then giving them back, or waiting until like you know a third of the way through the season to give them out. Like that sort of stuff, like kind of just threw off what the tradition was supposed to be. Nebraska's starting defense is supposed to be the black shirts, and then you know a turn from when are you giving them out, when are you pulling them, and then how many? 15, 16 guys with black shirts. So it's kind of devolved into uh, a shell
0: of what it used to be, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, t- to me, keep it simple, and you know, you earn your black shirt in the in the off season, and and you know, in your work to become a starter. And if you're a starter, you are a black shirt. And if you lose your starting position, then you get your black shirt take, taken away. So I mean, I think it's I think you can overthink it quite a bit.
1: And finally, guys, here as we wrap things up. What, again, is the eligibility to qualify for a bowl game? There's a lot of bowl projections right now that don't even have Nebraska in a bowl. That kind of grinds my gears a little bit. because I feel like Nebraska is one of the nine best teams in the Big Ten right now. I don't think they're below that. I think they just need to prove it. But it's my understanding, you know, we know that there's no record requirement, but I would assume there's going to be a slotting process within the Big Ten based on the final results. And I don't know if there'll be a committee, but – I think there'll be a fairly good slotting system where the top nine or ten teams get the ten bowl spots.
4: Yeah, that's one of the concerning aspects of it. I mean, obviously, you assume Nebraska, if
1: if there's no requirement. (laughs) If there's a tie, though, Nebraska's going to get the bottom of the tie. Exactly, that's what I mean.
4: So if it is up to the conference, you're going to be a little bit leery of it. And then the other issue is that it seems like these bowl games are getting chopped off quite a bit recently I think they're already down to 37 the games. Detroit Bulls out so yeah. the Big
1: Ten's down one right now
4: okay and so I think there was like 43 or something like that or Bulls originally and then now they're down to 37 so you know hopefully there's going to be just enough games for Nebraska to get in. but uh you know it sounds like uh as long as Nebraska does what it should do they'll be okay and they'll go to a bowl
0: game yeah I, I, that's how I feel that's I'm not I'm not worried about, you know, what the what the record needs to be or, you know, anything like that. I, I just feel like if if Nebraska or any team for that matter goes out and takes care of business, that it'll work out in their favor. Um, you know, and, and you'll you'll find yourself in a bowl game.
1: If Nebraska's 2 and 6, they're probably not going to a bowl. If mm-hmm. they're 3 or 4 wins, they're in a bowl. I mean, anything I mean, if they're 4, they're in for sure. And I think 3 you're fairly decent chances of being in a bowl right and
4: now. especially if the bowls have any say in it whatsoever they're going to be like okay yeah give me nebraska in my you know random bowl that normally gets you know a bunch of bottom feeders because there's going to be a ton of viewers and if there are fans are allowed there's going to be a they ton need of a fans TV going rating.
1: exactly yeah all right when we come back we'll close the show with recruiting talk you're listening here to the husker online show
2: you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics
3: yeah, it's, it's hard with the regulations they have out right now, but we're just trying to do the best that we can. You know, personally, I am one of those guys that visually I, I want to see a kid practice. I want to watch him. I want to see how tall he is. I want to – I'm able to do it right now. But – so it is, it, is, it is different for me. But just watching a lot of game film on guys right now, and they got a few games in right now, so now I'm starting to go back and watch some game film. And so I get a chance to have a, a different opinion or keep the same opinion, uh, depending on what I see on film. Final segment here of the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Nate
1: Klaus, talking recruiting, Nate, and that was Travis Fisher just, you know, speaking of the challenges right now for him to recruit without ever seeing kids in person. And, you know, he's not recruiting 500-mile radius guys in most cases. He's a Florida-Georgia recruiter for the Big Red. And, um, you know, that's a tough sell at this point. And, you know, we, we as we discussed, a lot of these guys are not going to ever see campus before they come here uh, to school in, in January or June.
0: Well, yeah, and, and those are also areas where there's so much talent that you could go down there, you know, during a bye week or, you know, whenever and, and catch a practice and, you know, kind of uncover a hidden gem, uh, you know, or see something in someone, you know, that uh, that you maybe you wouldn't normally see on film. And, and uh, you know, for someone who likes to, to do that and recruit in person, and evaluate in person, if, if at all possible. know this is this is an entire year that has been very hard for you uh, to handle because you haven't had the opportunity to get out in the spring you haven't had the opportunity to to go any satellite camps or host anybody on your campus for camps and and no one's gone anywhere this this fall to catch any games in person or practices in person so um, you know for for those coaches on the staff that recruit you know areas like the Florida's or you know California Texas Georgia whatever that are far Way, i mean it's been difficult for those guys
1: you're listening here to the Husker online shows we talk recruiting native it was a busy week though on the recruiting front for nebraska and really they added two commits for the class of 2021 one being a two-year grad transfer then one being a high school recruit and i want to go right to the grad transfer um correct me on the last name chris kalarevic kalarevic um out of northern iowa uh two-year grad transfer a very productive player was in the portal for about a week, and you broke this story, or you were on top of it right away, Nate. What do you know about Chris, and what's he bringing to Nebraska?
0: Well, he's a really good football player, first and foremost. I mean, he's somebody um, who, like you said, he was very productive, and, and, you know, after his redshirt year at uh, Northern Iowa, he put together back-to-back seasons where, uh, you know, he totaled 144 tackles in those two seasons – um, you know and, and both of which were cut a little bit short due to injury um, you know he was I think he was honorable mention uh, freshman all-american and then he was a second team all-conference selection as a redshirt sophomore and you know a lot of people you know before their season got canceled this year were kind of tabbing him as a first team uh, Missouri Valley Conference selection there as a, as a linebacker and so Theoretically, you're getting somebody who you know, could have been a three-time Missouri Valley Conference selection, and um, you know someone who put up really, really good numbers throughout his career. There, um, he comes from Traverse City, Michigan, which is the same high school that produced uh, you know Max Bola and, and, and his brother uh, that, that both went to Michigan State, and they were really good players there. Um, and, and there's been a number of really good players that come out of that program. But um, it, just from talking with him, it, it became very, very clear early on that he's a no-nonsense guy. He absolutely loves football. He said all he does um, whenever he has a chance is watching football, whether it's breaking down game film, practice film, or, or you know going down a rabbit hole on, on YouTube watching players play. Um, he's like, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't like to party. I like to watch football. Uh, I like to study f- the game. And, and I think that's something where when you're talking about um, a two-year grad transfer that's got an opportunity to come in at semester, um, you know, I, I think you, you pretty much uh, you're checking all the boxes there and saying, hey, this kid could help us out pretty early.
1: Yeah, with Colin Miller and Will Honus, I mean, they could come back, but I think most people expect them not to come back. You got Luke Reimer. You got Nick Henrich, who could play outside linebacker now. As we're learning, uh, you just get the sense Keyshawn Green's long gone. They just they don't feel one hundred percent confident about the total depth of that position for next year.
0: Yeah, and and he is you know he's six two, two hundred thirty pounds, um, and I think he's somebody that has played enough football. Um, and has put enough on film where they feel like he, he can come in. There's opportunity for him to come in and play right away or earning, earn a starting spot uh, right away, regardless of who's coming back from Nebraska next year. But that was certainly a position in this recruiting class where I think they needed to, um, you know, address and, and, and bring some players in at, and especially after you lose a guy like Keyshawn Green out of the class. And, um, you know, and I, I think they found a good one in, in Chris Kolorovic Kal- uh, there, uh, to, to come in and, and somebody who's going to be, you know, not handed the job. He knows he's going to have to earn it. But, uh, I mean, the bottom line is he wouldn't be coming here if he didn't think there was an opportunity to play right away.
1: And then, Nate, Nebraska goes to California, and Tony Tuioti gets literally the biggest Husker defensive lineman in terms of size we've seen in a number of years And Jalen Weaver, 6'8", 320, And this is what they need, and this is what they want, Nate, for a 3-4. You just want monster human beings on that line where, you know, three bodies feels like four bodies because they're all so big and tall and and long.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's – basically fits the mold for what they want there uh, as, a, as a 3-4 defensive end somebody who's, uh, who's just a massive person to move uh, that can, that can kind of hold the point of attack and not give up the edge uh, but also has you know length and athleticism too um, there and, and so um, you know and Weaver fits the bill there you know 320 might be a little a little heavy or a little heavier than what you're wanting uh, you know at, at that at that uh, you know at that size or for that position. Um, but he's somebody I think that has an awful lot of potential um, from the people that I've talked with that have either coached him or watched him in camps or games uh, they say that he's got a lot of similarities to Eric Armstead um, who had an outstanding career for Oregon and who's played very well for the the 49ers and I'm not saying that he's going to be the next Eric Armstead but um, you know he's that type of body he's that type of, of uh, you know a player and, and I think that uh, if he's able to, to get in here and and, you know kind of develop under Zach Duvall in the weight room there's no telling what what he could end up developing into
1: and Nate you'll be you saw Westside play last week
0: yep saw Westside and Thomas Fedoni play last week and you know Thomas Fedoni kind of same old story uh, that we've seen every week he's extremely reliable nobody can cover him and when he gets the football he makes plays happen and um You know that's we saw a lot of that uh, on Friday night, and then you know West Side really took care of business against uh, you know a good Grand Island team and and blew them out of the water pretty early on, and and uh, you know Kobe Brett's was making a lot of plays on both sides of the football. Probably should have had. You know, he had one receiving touchdown and should have had at least one more, probably two more. And uh, you know, and, and should have had a uh, a pick six, um, you know, on his interception too. But um, again, he making making a lot of plays on both sides of the ball.
1: Yeah. Now with Lewis Central, Nate, what do you know much about that three A race? I know Harlan got him, and I'm assuming Harlan's the number one team. Yep. Is there a chance that they can meet? So like-
0: they're they're playing this week, um, and and the winner of the Lewis Central Harlan game. Gets into the the, semis. The yeah, the the, what they call their final four. The dome, the dome games. Yep, yep. And there was yeah, their final four. Those all those games take place in the dome, uh, in the the UNI dome there, and and uh, you know, so it's a big rematch. For, for Lewis Central because Harlan got him the first game out of the out of the gates earlier in the season and or actually not earlier in the season just well, three three or four weeks ago now so um, that should be a heck of a rematch
1: and you'll see Lincoln Southeast Elkhorn South this week in Lincoln right
0: yep and I'm looking forward to that too this will be the first time oddly enough it'll be the first time that I've seen Southeast play in person so um, you know looking forward to to seeing a lot of their young and up and coming uh, talent and then really of good course, looking team yeah and then of course um, you know. We know a lot of the players on, on Elkhorn South, including uh, Teddy Prohaska, the, uh, the offensive tackle commit.
1: All right, lots to, to look forward to as Nate will be at that game with Greg and Blake Arnie will be out at Creighton Prep as well. So uh, we'll have commit Husker coverage on Friday and Saturday, and I'll be out in Evanston, and Robin will be covering the game as well. So make sure you're logged into huskeronline.com as we'll have plenty of coverage here of recruiting and everything Nebraska Northwestern.